Let's pray. Our God, we come admitting to you that without the enlivening work of your Holy Spirit, we are dead in trespasses and sins. Father, we are praying for your Spirit's enlivening work in our hearts and minds this morning as we look at your word and as we see in this section of your word that there are so many emotional words, so much emotional content, and we pray, Lord, that where our lives are not matching with this God-glorifying emotion that we see in this text, that you would do a work in us. Lord, bring us from a place of coldness, if we are cold to you, to a place of warmth in your spirit that would glorify you. And I pray, Lord God, for transformation. I pray that you would continue to, to do this work in us, to make us into the image of your glorious Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, would you do that now? We pray in Jesus' name. We pray your help to listen, your help to preach. And may we go forward today rejoicing in you after this service, even though it's cold and icy outside, rejoicing in our hearts because of who you are and how good you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a little book called Life Together. Uh, six years before he was executed at Flossenburg at the age of 39 on suspicion of resisting Adolf Hitler. Life Together is a book that I personally have come back to time and time again over the years. It's a powerful meditation, I think, on what it looks like and on what it means to live in Christian community with other brothers and sisters. Now let me ask you a question. If you are really honest with yourself, what was your attitude uh, early this morning perhaps or even late last night when you thought about gathering again for worship with other Christian brothers and sisters? Maybe the weather had something to do with your attitude. But perhaps some of us have come this morning genuinely excited to be uh, amongst other believers again for another Sunday. We couldn't wait to be with the family of God again. I'm, I'm glad to hear amens. I really am. But perhaps others of us have come with maybe a less positive outlook toward being with the church community. It's another amen. See, it's, it's good, candid honesty. That's what we're looking for here. Maybe on the way to worship this morning, some of us were whispering to ourselves secretly or maybe even not so secretly, uh, oh, you know, and I go in there, I hope, I hope she's not at church today. Or, or I, I hope I don't run into him this morning. Or, well, if he's there and he sits on the right side, I'll sit on the left side. Be honest, what was your attitude as you came into fellowship with brothers and sisters today. Well, in my copy of Life Together, I have many sentences and paragraphs underlined. I want to read you just one of those paragraphs that I have underlined. So that, again, writing in about 1938, so this is six or seven years before he was executed, Bonhoeffer wrote this about the gift that is Christian community. Here's what he said. It is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God 
for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have, have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace. A gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us. That the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, said Bonhoeffer, let him who now has the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. My friend, what was your attitude? the attitude of your heart toward your fellow believers sitting around you in this sanctuary today? What is your heart's attitude toward Christ's church? It's a question that you have to answer that no one can answer for you. Do you genuinely see it as a gift of grace to be here today with other believers, even if some of those believers may bug you? Well, this morning we're venturing back into Philippians, and it's remarkable in today's preaching passage how warm-hearted, we need to see this, how warm-hearted Paul is toward the believers in the Philippian church. It is noteworthy and it's instructive for us, just how loving and how affectionate Paul is uh, toward the brothers and sisters. So if somehow you're a person who's come into a place in your life where you think that your God-given role is to criticize or to accuse other brothers and sisters in the church, then please, I implore you to listen well to Paul here. Listen to the Spirit speaking to you through Paul. And may God humble each and every one of us as we come under his word, which is what we do. We come under his word. And may he kindle afresh in our hearts an affection for each and every member of Christ's church, of God's family. So last Sunday, if you have your Bible open, last Sunday we read Paul's greeting. We read his salutation to the Philippian church, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. Now, this morning, we move to verse 3, where Paul begins a report of how he prays for the Philippians. And again, listen especially today for the enormous volume of affection that Paul has for the Philippians. Beginning at verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul is thankful. Paul is grateful. He says, I thank my God. Notice there the terms of intimacy. My God. Paul is like David in Psalm 5-2 when David addresses my king and my God. Paul is like the psalmist of Psalm 118.28, who likewise used terms of intimacy with God. He said, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. So Paul had an intensely personal relationship with God, a relationship that you and I also can have through Jesus Christ. 
Paul says, my God here. Paul thanks his God in all his remembrance, notice, in all his remembrance of the Philippians. That is, it was almost like a knee-jerk reaction or an automatic sort of response that, that whenever the Philippian believers came to Paul's mind, gratefulness would bubble up and bubble over in him. Here was Paul chained to a Roman guard in prison, hundreds of miles away from Philippi, sitting in his Roman cell, and he's talking about how his heart was full of gratitude at the very thought of the Philippians. What a picture. And this is a picture, friends, of what is possible where true Christian fellowship is happening, right? Separated from other believers by miles. Separated from other believers by dire circumstances. And a heart full of thanks for those believers. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And then verse 4. Always, notice, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Have you noticed the prevalence in verses 3 and 4, of what we might call words of completeness. So we had the word all in verse 3. Now in verse 4 we get the words every and all. Words of completeness. Paul says that every remembrance of the Philippian believers brought thanksgiving to his heart. And now he says that in every one of his consistent and continual prayers, in every one of those prayers, for every one of the Philippian believers, he has joy. Now I want you to take special notice here of the word all in verse 4. And how the word all gets used in verse 4. You all. Notice that very carefully. Paul prays for all the Philippian believers, not just the ones that he particularly likes. Amen? He prays instead for all of them. He prays for the most faithful elder who could be found in the church of Philippi, right down to the most obstinate, stubborn troublemaker. Paul is being inclusive here of the entire church. He prays for all of them. And I think as the Philippians read this letter, it probably would give them a, a sort of a pause just a little bit when they read this phrase, you all. Because there had been some division, some fracture creeping into the Philippian church. A few of the believers were pitting themselves against other believers. Paul, when he says you all, this is an implicit attempt to gather all the parties together already. As Dennis Johnson has it, when Paul says he prays for you all here, it's like he's drawing each believer face to face to see eye to eye once again. You know, sometimes we need that in church settings. Amen? And Paul says that joy characterizes his prayers for all the Philippian believers. So here he was again in this nervous situation of awaiting word from the Roman Empire about whether he would live or whether he would die. And Paul experiences joy 
as he prays for the Philippians. This is amazing. And it would strongly suggest to us that joy is certainly not rooted in one's circumstances. Joy is not rooted in one's circumstances. If Paul can experience joy in this dire circumstance of a Roman prison, then we can experience joy. Just as an example, we can experience joy even as we wait to die with a terminal illness in a palliative bed in the hospital. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. Joy is not the same as happiness. Joy does not depend on circumstances. As Matthew Harmon says, what joy is, is it's a deep-seated confidence and delight in God and his promises that transcends circumstances. Transcends circumstances. Paul, chained to a Roman guard, has joy as he prays for the Philippian believers who are hundreds of miles away. And the specific thing that really sparks Paul's experience of joy is described in verse 5. Paul says, I make my prayer with joy. It doesn't sound very joyful. (laughs) It's okay, your joy will come back. Paul says, I make my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, we need to spend a moment or two just with this word that's translated here into English as partnership. In the original Greek text of Philippians, it's the word koinonia that we have here. The word koinonia comes from the adjective koinos, which means common. Koinonia is really a relational kind of a word. Koinonia has to do, listen, with a common shared life amongst people that involves participatory active cooperation. I'll say that one more time. Koinonia has to do with a common shared life amongst people that involves participatory active cooperation. So then, partnership is a decent English translation of this word. Now, the specific kind of koinonia, the specific kind of partnership that was evidenced in the Philippian believers that was causing Paul to experience joy as he prayed for them, theirs was a partnership in the gospel, as it says in verse 5. Notice that very carefully. What does the gospel have to do with? Well, the gospel has to do with Christ, right? As Gordon Fee puts it, he says, to preach Christ is to preach the gospel, which is all about Christ. To preach the gospel is to proclaim God's good news of salvation that he is affected in Christ. And in fact, Fee notes in his commentary that in the New Testament, the word Christ and the word gospel oftentimes become interchangeable in the New Testament. They are that intimate in their relationship, Christ and gospel. The Philippians were people of Christ. 
The Philippians were centered on Christ. They were gospel people. Just as Paul also was a child of Christ and a gospel-centered, Christ-centered person. The Philippians, together with Paul, shared in the divine life of the risen Jesus. And together with Paul, they participated in the Holy Spirit. The Philippians' interest and desire was precisely the same as Paul's. And the desire was to spread the word about Christ. The desire was to follow Jesus. The desire was to proclaim him and to promote him everywhere, to spread his fame. Paul and the Philippians shared a partnership in the gospel. Together they participated in the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on the part of the Philippians, that particular partnership had most recently manifested itself in the sending of a gift to Paul when he was, prison, when he was in prison. It was this common passion for the gospel that tied Paul and the Philippians together that brought Paul joy even as he prayed for them. Now, friends, it's okay for us as a local church to gather around a coffee urn after service is over and talk together about how great the Edmonton Oilers are. Right, Hugh? Hugh's shaking his head. I just had to throw that in there. Remember, I have the pulpit card. So. <laughs> It's okay for us to gather in each other's homes midweek for a meal and talk about the kids and talk about work. But where true Christian fellowship exists, where true Christian partnership manifests itself, there will be a decidedly Christ-centered atmosphere about it. There will be a gospel-centered bent about it. There will be exhorting, and there will be encouraging in Christ, and there will be prayer, and there will be coming alongside in suffering, and there will be giving, and there will be biblical teaching. Koinonia in the gospel, partnership in the gospel. This is what sparked Paul's joy in prayer. He says in verse 5 that the Philippians had exhibited this partnership in the gospel over a pretty significant period of time. Notice, from the first day until now. That is, from the very incubation of this Philippian church, from its very beginnings, right up to this time, ten years later, when Paul was writing to them from prison, the Philippians had shown by their actions, by their attitudes, by their works, that they were partners with Paul in the gospel. There had been a consistency and a continuity as they invested themselves in Christ's kingdom work. No wonder Paul is so thankful for them here. Verse 6. Notice Paul's confidence here as we begin. Notice his settled conviction. And I am what? Sure of this. What are you so sure about, Paul? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, friends, what was Paul's expressed confidence based on here? Well, again, since the very beginning of the Philippian church, Paul had witnessed the Philippians being committed to a Christ-centered vision, spreading the gospel through thick and thin. And this was evidence that there were real conversions in Philippi, that these people were the real deal. They were born-again, Christ-exalting, Christ-following people. And so Paul can be confident as he is here, that these people would persevere in faith to the very end. Let's look closer at this amazing verse. Some of us have memorized this verse. Paul says here, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, who was it who began a good work in the Philippians, and what exactly was the good work that he had begun? Answer, God was the one who had begun a good work in the Philippians. God had chosen all by himself to initiate the good work in the Philippian believers. And what was the good work? Well, the good work in question was, and I like the way Matthew Harmon puts it, the good work was the entire work of salvation from beginning to end. Stretching from initial regeneration, being born again, and justification to final glorification. Friends, the good, the good work here is this. That God takes people, listen, God takes people who are opposed to Him. He takes people who are enemies toward Him. People who think themselves higher than God. God takes people who are spiritually deceased and God breathes life into them. God raises them from spiritual deadness to life in Christ, to life in the Holy Spirit. And then God works a lifelong process, says Dennis Johnson, a lifelong process of new creation transforming stone-cold hearts into warm and tender flesh and turning ingrown hearts inside out. That's the good work. Paul says, He who began a good work in you, believer, are you a believer today? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Notice, won't you, that in just two verses, notice this carefully, in two verses, verses 5 and 6, Paul has covered the past, present, and now the future of the Philippian believers. He's talked about their past when he said, that back at their first day as believers in Philippi, they had shown themselves to be partners in the gospel. And he talked about their present moment when he said, until now, even now, the Philippians were still showing evidence that they were partners in the gospel, as Paul wrote this letter. And now Paul talks about their glorious future at the day of Jesus Christ. That is, at the second coming of Jesus Christ on that glorious day when Jesus vindicates his people 
the work of salvation that God had began in them will finally and totally and utterly be completed. Paul is assured of this. He is confident in this. He has a settled conviction about it. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but I find the truth of verse 6 to be absolutely wildly assuring for us as believers. I recall my, I would call it, a Damascus Road experience at the age of 20 in a gymnasium in Woodbridge, Ontario, when I was converted to Jesus Christ. Now that was just shy of 30 years ago. Over the course of that 30 years since my conversion, my Christian walk has been no bed of roses. Truth be told, there have been many days, many days where I have felt more cold toward God than warm. In those 30 years, there have been many periods when life has gone sour for one reason or another, when things have gone bad, when my faith has taken a hit, when I have doubted, and when I've encountered suffering, and when I've encountered opposition. But God says to me here, Brent, I initiated this work in you. I will most certainly see it through to the end. What an assurance from the Word of God this is. Listen, in everything we encounter in this life as believers, I don't care what it is, in everything we encounter, God is shaping us. Through everything that we experience, God is shaving things off of us and adding things to us and preparing us for eternity. God is taking the good news that we get and God is taking the bad news also. The blessings as well as the unexpected sadnesses. The laughter and all the troubles. And he's using all of it, all of it, in the process of bringing the good work that he began in us to completion. Nothing we experience in this life escapes his plans and purposes for us. Do you believe it? Nothing we experience can separate us. Nothing we can experience can separate us from his love for us. He planned and he initiated our salvation and he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? I really like the ministry maxim that John Kitchen gives us here. This is one to jot down and take through your week. I'll read it a couple of times for you. Kitchen says, God both initiates and consummates my salvation. Thus, I can be assured that he will not misstep in between. One more time. God both initiates and consummates my salvation. Thus, I can be assured that he will not misstep in between. Blessed be our God. Amen. Blessed be our God. But now listen carefully. All of this does not mean that as believers, we sit back completely passive, like bumps on a log, doing nothing. 
and saying, well, God is going to get this thing done, so I don't have to do anything. No. As believers, we are people who both desire holiness and actively strive for holiness in our lives, and the New Testament commands us to do so. Right? We work to resist the fleshly desires of our hearts and grow in love and holiness and obey the commands of Jesus Christ. In fact, loving holiness and working to be holy as God is holy is evidence in our lives that God has indeed initiated the good work of salvation in us. We are not passive, but at the same time we recognize the blessed assurance of this verse that it's God ultimately who's going to bring what he started in us to completion. Well, let's go to verse 7 now. Paul says to his beloved Philippians, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now just look at the opening words of this verse for a moment. Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. First of all, that word there, feel, in the original text, has to do with thinking and judging. There's a strong mental component about this word. It's about forming an opinion. Paul had formed an opinion about the Philippians. He had developed a mindset about the Philippian believers. He says here, it is right to me to feel, to judge this way. And those words, this way, refer back to everything that he's just said in verses 3 through 6. So Paul's feeling this way about the Philippians refers to his mindset concerning them that is described in verses 3 through 6. This was a mindset of joyful gratitude for them. It is right for me to feel this gratitude for you. Joyful gratitude because of their ongoing partnership in the gospel. And then notice the terms of affection that Paul has for his brothers and sisters in Philippi when he says, I hold you in my heart. Wow. I hold you in my heart. We know from studying this word heart in the scriptures that it refers to the very center of who a person is. The heart is the seat of the soul, and it involves the mind, the will, and the emotions. I hold you in my heart. This is a description, friends, don't miss this, a description of the depth of affection that Paul has for his brothers and sisters in the church. Now, isn't it true, even in the church, I want you to check yourself here, isn't it true, that there are times when we can put on a false front of being polite to somebody, even while inside of us there's a burning resentment toward that person for one reason or another. So we grudgingly say hi. We put on a smile. The externals are there. But the internals... The inside of us is repelled by that person. 
May God help us. The kind of affection that Paul is describing for the Philippians here is the polar opposite of that sort of fake affection. When Paul says that he held the Philippians in his heart, it's a description of deep, genuine, real, abiding love for them. As Dennis Johnson puts it so colorfully, he says, Paul's affection for the Philippians was not a grudging, foot-dragging, well, I really ought to, pseudo-love, a false front of politeness that masked a heart smoldering with resentment. I think we've all done that from one time or another. Masked a heart smoldering with resentment or frozen in sullen indifference. Close quote. No, Paul's affection for the Philippians was the real deal. I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers We could translate participants with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The thing that bound Paul together with the Philippians and the Philippians together with Paul was grace. Together they were partakers of grace, participants in grace. The grace for Paul and the Philippians had come from who? From who? From God. God had sent Jesus to pay the penalty of their sin on the cross to rescue them from eternal death. This grace from God, active in their lives, was what bound them together just as the grace of God in Christ binds us together as the church today. We come from different backgrounds. It's grace that binds us together. And the bond was so profound and so strong between the Philippians and Paul that even over the miles... Even throughout all those years since the founding of the church, the Philippians had supported Paul through thick and thin. Paul's gospel ministry meant so very much to the Philippians that even when Paul was now in prison awaiting his trial, he'd have opportunity to defend and confirm the gospel at his trial confirm his actions which had flowed from adhering to the gospel. Even through all of that, The Philippians were right there, still supporting Paul, still praying for him, still sending him a gift, sending Epaphroditus to him, encouraging his heart. The imprisonment was Paul's, to be sure, which is why he says here, my imprisonment. But there was a real sense, friends, in which the Philippians shared the imprisonment with Paul. They shared his trials Because they were smitten with the same Jesus and the same gospel that Paul was. Well, in our final verse this morning, in verse 8, we get even more terms of affection from Paul toward the Philippians. He says now, notice this, For God is my witness how I, what? Yearn for you all with what? With the affection of Jesus Christ. Notice that he's especially emphatic here. For God is my witness. And what he's emphatic about is the fact that he yearns, he longs, not just for select individuals in the church with whom he had a particular rapport, but Paul yearns for all the Philippians. I yearn for you all. 
Now, what did he particularly yearn for? Probably we can take the longing, the yearning here, in the sense that he yearned to be reunited with all of them, to see all of them again, to fellowship in person with all of them one more time. And Paul's yearning is qualified here, isn't it? Notice the text. It's qualified as being a yearning with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now listen to this, friends. What's really instructive for us here is to understand that the noun here, the noun affection, is translated from a Greek word that literally means entrails, intestines, guts, bowels. And so if any of you have the King James Version in front of you today, you're going to notice that the word is translated more literally as the word bowels. So in the King James Version, the part of the verse reads like this, How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now in the ancient world, the guts of a person were considered to be the very seat of the emotions. The idea here is that Paul is talking about a gut-level, vibrant kind of deep emotion that he was experiencing for the Philippians, the kind of affectionate emotion that you feel in your gut. And he describes it as Christ's emotion, right? The affection, the gut-level affection of Christ Jesus. So that, listen very carefully, what Paul felt for all the Philippians was not simply his own limited human affection. Rather, it was the compassion and the love of Christ for the Philippians that Paul was experiencing. And how was this possible? Well, it was possible because Paul was in real spiritual union with the risen Jesus Christ. It was Christ who lived in Paul. Christ who loved all the Philippians through Paul. Friends, I hope you've noticed in the passage that Paul's genuine love for the Philippians is bi-directional. That is, it goes out in two ways. First, to borrow the terms that Dennis Johnson uses, Paul's love for the Philippians is expansive. That is, it is for all the Philippians, and not just some select people in the church. Or we might say that his affection is an extensive affection. It extends out and around each and every member of the church. That's the first thing. And then second, Paul's affection and love for the church is also intensive. That is, it is a genuine affection that is experienced down in the depths of Paul's soul. Paul's love for the church is extensive, and it is intensive. Now, I want you to listen carefully. On our own, that is, working under our own steam, you and I are never going to have this kind of extensive, intensive affection for every single person in Snowden Baptist Church. It will never happen. Take that to the bank. If you are operating simply under your own powers, 
I want you to what I want you to hear here are the again the wise words of Dennis Johnson. I'm quoting him a lot, but he's written so much that's good on this. Johnson says, "To love our neighbors as ourselves." I want you to listen. To love our neighbors as ourselves, and especially our Christian brothers and sisters, extensively and intensively, we need a source of love deeper than our own puny hearts. We need the affection of Jesus Christ, imparted by His Holy Spirit residing in us, constantly turning our gaze upward to the Lord, who showed us compassion, and then outward to those who need to experience His compassion through us. The truth is, friends, that there are some people who are just plain hard to love. Would you agree? I mean, let's get real here. Some people bother us. They offend us. They are difficult to be with. They say inappropriate things or their attitude grates on us. It seems impossible that we could love such people. But in Christ, it is possible to genuinely love such people it is miraculously possible to have a genuine affection for such people to operate in the intestines, in the affection of Christ Jesus toward that person. You know, there are so many times that I've made this an issue of prayer, so many times over the years where I've prayed, Lord, you know I have a hard time with this person. I recognize, Lord, that I can't find love inside of me for this person, please help me to experience your affection for this person. Help me to see him or her through your eyes. Give me love for this person where I don't have any. I encourage you to make a prayer like that your prayer this week if there is somebody in the body that you are fed up with. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of, of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. May we take what we have seen in this passage this morning and take ourselves to prayer this week. Would you do that? Let's ask God to shape us into the kind of people who have the beautiful Christ-centered affection for his church that Paul had. May God work in us a growing, burning affection for his bride. Amen. May God deepen our partnership in the gospel and may he remove every single vestige of coldness and self-centeredness from our hearts. Amen. We'll take some time of silent reflection before the benediction.
Would you please stand for our benediction this morning? Friends, may God's grace and mercy follow you wherever you go and whatever you do. May Jesus' teachings and his redeeming love give you a disciplined, holy life. May the Holy Spirit's presence give you joy in serving others and being a light in this world's darkness. Go now in peace. Amen.